Let's Pod This is sponsored by Roast Scout. Roast Scout is the best way to discover amazing, delicious coffee from some of the nation's best independent roasters. The people at Roast Scout believe that great coffee's everywhere, but since you can't be everywhere, you might miss out. So they created a way to bring that great coffee to you. They work with small batch roasters from around the country to ship fresh roasted whole bean coffee direct to your door each month. Now, other coffee subscription services typically send you just one brand of coffee month after month after month, and that's fine, but it's not great. I mean, what if there's something better out there? What if your coffee soulmate is there and some small town in the mountains just waiting for you to find it? Roast Scout delivers a new bag of coffee to you from a different roaster every single month. Sign up today at roastscout.com slash let's fix this to get $5 off your first month. Roast Scout, discover remarkable coffee. Hey everyone and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore and I'm here with Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. What's up, man? How are you? I'm great, dude. How are you? It's only been like two days since we recorded the last episode. That's true. All right. It's been a eventful week already on Monday. Right. <laughs> Were you on Twitter today very much? Uh, I spent more time than usual on Twitter today. Really, man? It was a dumpster fire today. Yeah, there was. Yeah, the federal stuff with Kavanaugh and all. Like our country is having to come to terms with some very difficult things. Yeah, and there's some. And people have done some bad stuff. Yes. It sounds like. Yes. Some of it's being found out. Some of it's not. As a, yeah. Listen, if you've done anything that was potentially bad, just come clean. Yeah. I, I did see someone that said, wouldn't it be nice if one of these times it comes out that someone did something, Yeah, someone allegedly did something right. very bad right. 20, 30 years ago, and the response, instead of saying, I didn't do it, is like you know what, I fucked it up. Right, I was seventeen, <laughs> Sorry. and I was a, f- and I was a, and it was not okay. And I have been riddled with guilt about this for a long time. And I, I want to apologize. And like I'm a different person now. And I really, I want to make amends. And I, and I want to help other people be yeah. better. Yeah. What a refreshing outcome that might be. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Well, but, maybe. But we can dream. Well, it change starts with everyone right that's true all right so three quick announcements and then we're going to get to uh the meat of the episode which is going to be just a quick recap of the oklahomans gubernatorial forum debate thing yeah that's right there was a debate tonight you guys didn't even know that did you they might not have that's why we're doing this (laughs) so uh real quick our three announcements first this friday september 28th freedom of information oklahoma is hosting uh, an event called open conversations And this is a speaker series. The first speaker is Chase Cook, who is a reporter at the Capital Gazette newspaper, um, who was there when the shooting happened several months ago in his newsroom. And he uh, is a a alum of the OU Gaylord College of Journalism. He's going to be here speaking. Tickets are available online at foioklahoma.org. It should be a really interesting event. There's dinner, uh, maybe some awards, and then uh, Mr. Cook's going to speak. I will be there. Uh, Secondly... On October 7th, that's in, ooh, just like a week away, 
a weekend, two weeks away. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, Open Streets on the south side of Oklahoma City. We'll be there with our table doing voter registration. Scott, we got a new tablecloth in the mail today. It's one of those form-fitted ones. Oh, that's so exciting. Looking sleek. That's so exciting. We're going to be there doing voter registration, which is important because you have to be registered to vote by October 12th if you want to vote in the election this November. And you do. I'm telling you, you do. And you're probably already, already registered if you're listening to this, but... Ask your friends, ask your family, ask your coworkers. Just be like, hey, is everyone here registered to vote? If not, offer to help. Just tell them to go online and do it, and you can you can mail it in. Um, all right, and then thirdly, as a reminder, November 6th on Election Day, we are having a big honk and watch party at the Tower Theater on 23rd Street. You like you really don't want to miss it. It's going to be it's, exceptional. Yeah, you, re- you want it. This is... This is the place that you want to be. Hell, the mayor's going to be there. That's true. Uh, we're in District 88, so Representative Jason Dunnington's going to be there. Some other guests. We get um, pre-solid lineup. Live music. Uh, J.B. Williams is going to be there. He's going to be a guest, and he's going to perform. Uh, what's the cost of admission, Andy? It's free. What? That? What? That's right. How about No money. How, how about the food? What does food cost? Food is free. <laughs> now, that can't be right. Free food and and free admission that's right because we're doing this for the people now this is a fundraiser if you'd like to donate and help us do this you're welcome to we'd love that we'll have some swag available for purchase drinks uh koozies whatnot um please come out though it's really gonna be fun scott and i are gonna be there and we're gonna be giving live election updates all night long think the tonight show meets meet the press meets election coverage meets concert i but, don't know but better than all of those things right put them all together icing on top and a cherry that's right do the funky chicken it's gonna be awesome <laughs> it's, gonna be, it's gonna be awesome all right well let's uh let's get to the meat of our episode here that's right scott tonight we're going to discuss the gubernatorial debate between republican candidate kevin stitt and democratic candidate drew edmondson scott you and i watched it together just downstairs in your living room what's your Top line, hot take, takeaway. So I would say there's there's two things. I guess for me, one, um, Kevin Stitt, I think the big things I learned about him tonight, or I shouldn't say learned, that confirmed. One, he is really trying, he is trying hard to play the outsider, not politician, mm-hmm. businessman with experience who's going to come in and kind of turn the state around. Run the state like a business. Which, which sounds, you know, I think that he, I think he delivers that, I think he delivers that talking point well. For me, it was not backed up really by any specifics at all about how he plans to do that. Lots of, I have plans to do things, but no details on how he's going to accomplish those plans other than just the force of his leadership. So I ask you this while we were watching it. As someone who is a openly registered Democrat, do you feel like you're coming at this from a position of bias? You know, I'm sure I am. Um, that's fair <laughs> I'm sure, I, you know like i'm sure i'm sure i am i'm really trying hard not to like nope. i have some democratic friends that have met mr stitt and listened to some of his policies where he actually got into some details and they said it was not as scary as they had been led to believe yeah and and, and i didn't come away from like i didn't come away from tonight like angry at kevin stitt or like oh you know if he's elected that means the end for Oklahoma or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was just more, okay, you said you want to do this, but 
declined to say how. And you said you want to do this and declined to say how. Like his, Is that just smart politics though? I mean, I think there's I think that's a great that's a great point. Um and it can be smart politics, but the reason that I have skepticism about it from somebody like Mr. Stitt is that he's never worked in public service before, right? And he made the point tonight that, you know, taking over the state government of Oklahoma with its $20 billion budget is like running a top 150 Fortune 500 company. And it's just Fortune 150. Uh, yeah, right. Like a, <laughs> a Fortune one, a Fortune 150 company. Um, and okay, I can, I guess in terms of like the balance sheet, maybe that's true. Um, but do you think that a Fortune 150 company would hire somebody to be their CEO who's never had anything like that experience before? Ah, right. Fair point. Right? Like, like also, I mean, I, I, know, I know Kevin Stitt's a businessman, and he's got a business that's in 41 states. It employs about 1,200 people. I think a lot of Fortune 150 companies employ tens of thousands of people across multiple nations and continents. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not saying that there aren't skills that are translatable, but it's a completely different beast. And then when you add into that, that that's not the private sector, you can't just hire and fire people on a whim the way that you can in the private sector. Well, and so that came up in the conversation um, where Stitt, I thought it was most interesting. We'll talk about him first, I guess, since we're into it now. And I felt like it was interesting that he on several occasions said that he wanted more power um, as he wanted the governor to have more power, but he, it was about him obviously, cause he's running for governor um, which is different because Oklahoma has a pretty weak governorship as it is. Most of the powers with the legislature. So he said he uh, plans to request authority to hire and fire agency heads. And he also thinks the governor should be able to nominate state Supreme court justices which is different than how it is right now where there's like a state judicial nominating committee that they come up with a bunch of, they come up with three and give those three to the governor and the governor picks one of the three. Right. 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 So I, so it was interesting in a, for a state where we distrust government um, historically because of scandals and, and uh, Edmondson highlighted the scandal about Supreme court stuff that led to this judicial nominating committee. Right. And so it's like, all right, well it should be more efficient and consolidated and I, on my end, I think that's interesting because it's, uh, well, I agree and I disagree at the same time. Yeah. No, I think, and, and you know, it's funny because this actually brings up an exchange where, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I question kind of what uh, Edmondson's response was. So, you know, they asked Edmondson like, all right, Mr. Stitt is saying like, hey, he wants to have the power to hire and fire. Like there shouldn't be so many boards and commissions and like there should, they kind of, concentration of power should be more centralized and do you agree and Edmund said well it said well I I think it's served us well for a long time and I and my immediate I even wrote it down I was like has it like has has that kind of decentralized system served us well because we do have a government that's been rife with corruption we've had you know scandals in our distant history our not so distant history and our yeah. very recent history like I'm not saying that we need to like completely revamp Oklahoma government and concentrate all the power at the governor's mansion. But at the same time, I don't know that I would agree with the assertion that having 400 boards and boards and commissions that are appointed by some combination of the governor, the Senate pro Tim and the uh, speaker of the house and other people. I don't know that I would say Oklahoma has been always well served by that super, super decentralized system. Well, because um, checks and balances is a form of bureaucracy in that uh, 
inherently becomes more sluggish, right? And in some cases, it's, it just depends on which side you're on on which issue. Like sometimes you want the governor to be able to jump in and just box somebody like, get out. You know, you screwed up, you're done, and they can't. And so sometimes right. you end up with someone bad that's still in office unless the board that's in charge of them acts and they've got to wait. And, you know, like it's there's a system in place so that right. government moves slowly. And and sometimes it's good that government moves slowly. It may be frustrating, but it's frustrating when we want something good to happen. Um, but it, it's relieving when it's bad stuff that could roll out. Right. And I think that that's, you know, and this this you know, maybe this will change in the 2019, you know, in 2019 after this election. But this is one of the things that I think Kevin Stitt might struggle with if he actually won is he is used to running a company and that's not the same as running a government. Moreover, he's used to running a private company. Not like I would say that running a government is much more akin to running a publicly held company with a board. Yeah. Like he, like, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of gateway mortgage. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But my understanding is, I don't believe he has like a board that he has to report to, right? He might have a board, but he's probably on it. You know, he talks about like being able to lay out a strategic vision and like inspire people and like move people to action. Well, at the end of the day, if you work for Kevin Stitt and he tries to move you to action and he can't, he can fire you, right? Mm -hmm. But he can't fire anyone who's elected to the House and he can't fire anyone who's elected to the Senate and he can't fire a lot of people that are on these boards. You know, Edmondson made the point that like in response to a question about the scandal of the Department of Health, you would want to remove the leadership. And Chris Castile, the moderator, said, well, you can't do that. And mm-hmm. Edmondson said, well, right, no, you can't fire them, but you, you, you interact it- with the board and you make it clear to the board where you basically you use your influence with the board to make it clear what you want. And you know what that's called? Politics, <laughs> right. right? That's called politics. Well, and that's very different than what we've seen for the last eight years with Governor right. Fallon, who has been largely passive and kind of in the background on a lot of issues. And when she has tried to step out, I think there's, even for me, I, we kind of want the governor's voice to carry some weight with it. Sure. To be like, oh man, the governor weighed in on this. Sure. And, and in some ways I feel bad for her because that has not been the case. She's like, I think this is good or this is bad. And everyone kind of shrugs and moves on. And that's, and in some ways that has made governing difficult. Yeah, I think that's true. But I also think, I don't think that anyone would say the same about David Boren or George Nye, right? It was a different time. Or Frank Keating, right? Like, I mean, you're right. It was a different time, but I also think that, you know, you kind of, you kind of grow to fill the role and make it the like what you want it mm-hmm. to be. It could be. Um, yeah. And and I don't know that Governor Fallon has done that. Right. All right, let's shift and talk about Drew Edmondson then. Um how did you feel that he performed? Yeah, I thought I thought that he did well. The, my two big takeaways for him, so one, I feel like Edmondson is playing to the rural vote like hardcore. Interesting. Like I feel like he's going hard after trying to show rural Oklahomans that like He's one of them, and that two, he come, is. He is right. <laughs> he he is, but I think he's trying to demonstrate that because sure. I think that there's maybe a lot of folks in rural Oklahoma who don't know that. Right. Um, Do you think that's a factor of age? I think maybe it's a factor of age. I think it's a factor of maybe media consumption. I think it's a factor of you know the stick campaign is trying real hard to paint Edmondson with the career politician mm-hmm. label, and I think that that is inextricably linked to being like of the one of the two major metro areas right and so that was that was a a question tonight from uh chris castile was are you a career politician 
and uh, our professional politicians. Is that what he said? Yeah, this is my favorite answer of the night. And uh, and Drew was like, well, I don't know about that. I hope I'm a good one, and I guess we'll find <laughs> out in November. All right. Um, I would have said I'm a professional and a politician. Sometimes those correspond. Sometimes they don't. Sure. Um, but hey, to each their own. Right. I think um, it's interesting. So Ed, if elected, Edmondson would be one of, if not the oldest governor Oklahoma's ever had. Yeah. He's um, what, like 64? Mm, yeah, or 71 or something. It's, okay. I don't remember how old exactly. Um, but on a recent episode of How We Got Here, which is the podcast that Nondoc and uh-huh. FKG Consulting do, they talked about this as well, that Oklahoma has historically elected governors that are like in their 30s. And even a lot of other uh, elected officials are in their 20s, like late 20s, mid 30s, maybe early 40s. Yeah. And you think about who the vocal members of the legislature are. You've got, um, you know, Dunnington and even Greg Treat, David Holt, A.J. Griffin. Josh Cockroft. Josh Cockroft. Like Emily the, Virgin. Yeah. Uh, Eccles, I think we're the same age. Um, even uh, people who have now left, like Tess Teague, and um, did she leave? Well, she didn't run for re-election. No, she got beat. Yeah, there you uh, go. she got beat <laughs> in the primary. Yeah. But anyway, they're not there anymore. Is my point. But we got a lot of folks, and we have had a lot of new people anyway. Yeah. But there's not a whole lot of uh, Bobby Clevelands around anymore, no. and so, and so I wonder what it is about Oklahoma that we. Kind of like, like, we like these. Well, and there's, well, a, there's I, I, a difference I, I, there where we say, well, he's got a lot of potential. Right. But if it's a female, it's like, well, they got a lot to learn. And right. that's not fair. Well, and I think part of it too is, I don't know how many, I don't know how many folks uh, Edmondson's age run. Right. Like. That's true. You know I mean? Like, I think part of it is that people that, people that run in Oklahoma tend to be, tend to be on the young side anyway. It takes a certain amount of energy. Yeah. To do yeah. it. Hats off to him. Also, I mean. To be fair, Linda Edmondson has enough energy for both of them, I think. <laughs> sure, she's like, that's true. She's a energizer but, bunny. But, you know, like Drew had a couple of anecdotes. So uh, Chris Castile asked him pretty directly about uh, some of the commercials that ran against him um, immediately after the primary, calling him a career, career politician. And, you know, Drew said, well, you know, I mean, there's that one that showed him knocking down a barn. I thought it was not a real good commercial because, I mean, that was the worst barn I've ever seen. Didn't have road leading up to it. Didn't have road leading away from it. I mean, hell, if I was a farmer, I'd want that barn gone too. Like just stuff, and, and just a, a few other, a few other places that I think he, to me, he came across at least as he was pretty affable, affable, maybe even a little bit, a little bit folksy. Like, and I don't feel, I don't feel like it came across. To, it didn't come across forced. Like I felt like he was very oh, genuine. Right. Like, well, do you think that's experience as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he this is not his first time to run for public office. No. Not his first time to speak in front of an audience yeah. like this, where it is for Mr. Stitt. And I think, to me, that came through that, um, like I, somewhere, I wrote this down, I said I felt like Stitt came across as more... Uh, kind of forceful in his responses. Yes. He was he was leaned in more, very, like leaning forward. He was very he, green. Very green. He, he appeared louder. That could have been yeah. a microphone issue, but he spoke very clearly, kind of uh, forcefully, and spoke from a position uh, of kind of idealism and like uh-huh. this is what I want to do and these are my ideals. Whereas Edmondson spoke from a position of, um, he was more quiet, a little kind of contemplative or or uh, reflective very methodical and and definitely spoke from his experience yes i mean referenced his time in the navy uh-huh. his experience in vietnam 
um, his experience as attorney general and, and the things that he had prosecuted. Yeah. You know, and, and highlighted twice people he prosecuted of his own party. Sure. And I think that while that may bespeak a, a quote, career politician, it also bespeaks uh, an, an experience that Mr. Stitt, I think, has a, felt like he had a hard time combating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think just in terms of kind of the optics, again, watching it, you know, you mentioned like Nixon Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to me, to me, Edmondson appeared much more relaxed and kind of right, yeah. at ease. Well, I mean, the comparison with the debate between Nixon and Kennedy is that Nixon was also right. sick that day. Yes. and was like sweaty yes. and had a fever. But I don't know that this one, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like if you listen to it, if you, if you listen to it without watching it, maybe you'd have a different opinion. But I think... You know, we're not really in the business here of saying like who won or who lost, but I don't know that if you listened to it, the audio only, or listened to it and watched the video, that you would come away with a starkly different impression. Maybe right. you would. But and so I will say, if you are listening to us right now and you didn't get to see it, it's only about an hour long, and it's on YouTube. I will put it. Um, it's fifty-seven minutes and fifty-seven seconds, and I will embed it in our blog post. Um, that will go up whenever this podcast posts this week. So you can go in there and watch it. Um, it's it's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I would say it's well worth it. It was a, it was a I, I would say substantively, it was a fantastic debate. And I actually want to give a shout out to uh, Chris Castile uh, from the Oklahoman and News OK. Hell of a job. Oh, I, fantastic. Like that is, to, to me, like what the way that he handled that tonight, like, that is how a debate should be moderated. Well, and something said, you know, it was a forum or than a debate, and that's that's probably somewhat true because they didn't each respond to each question. My notes that I made about Chris were <laughs> literally hell of a job, unflappable, and Chris has been around for a long time. Like he is, he is a, a journalist, journalist, and I like that he gave context to the questions, so it's much more of a conversation than just like yep. a question and answer. And he kind of, it was almost a dialogue between uh-huh. each candidate and they were all sitting pretty close. That's not a big stage. And he just kind of sat between them and was like, yeah, well, they said this. What do you say about that? And he's, and was like, no, well, that's not, that's not what you said before. And like, yeah, it was really, but just he, flat effect the whole time. It was really great. Had absolute command of the facts. Um, it was, he, he had probably, I don't know, five dozen note cards there. Oh, yeah. And he was like flipping through them and yeah. he... Like he knew what was next, and, yeah. and definitely it was it was fantastic. The other thing I would say about Edmondson, my other takeaway from Edmondson was that, to me, and again, I think this gets to your point about experience. He was much more he he had a lot more command of policy details. Like was able, mm-hmm. I think, to succinctly say, you know, Chris would say, like, what is your plan for this? And he'd say, you know, my plan is to do this, and we're going to do it by X, Y, and Z. Like, that's what's going to happen. And I think, you know, I think you mentioned about Stitt, like, it can be good politics to be kind of long on idealism and short on details. Mm-hmm. That could definitely be good politics. I think some people had that criticism of Barack Obama in 2008 and it served him well. Hope and change. Um, right. But at the same time, I think that, I think at the local level, folks that are engaged enough to watch a governor's debate at mm-hmm. the local level that's not on TV and only being streamed online probably want more than a, yeah, I have a plan. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I got this. I mean, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Right. Right. Like I think, I think for this, for the audience, for this particular forum, I think having some more detail probably serves Edmondson 
well. Right. So that's the other thing that we discussed while we're watching it is that Edmondson got quite a few laughs during during the debate. Stick got one that I noticed, um, and and so it felt like um, it felt like Edmondson had a better rapport with the crowd. He like waved to his wife, and everyone applauded Linda as well. And some of that could have been Oklahoma City versus Tulsa, as we all know. That's a weird dynamic. A little bit, a little bit. Do you think that for so it it was probably also a, a more left leaning crowd yeah, here I would in guess. the metro I would guess. on a Monday night at, at the, the art, art museum, museum right? right? It's not at a school or somewhere else. Sure. Of people who are going to watch this at home, presumably you might have a more bipartisan um of uh, uh, viewership. Do you think that? People at home, let's say Republicans or Libertarians or folks that are not Democrats at home, maybe on the fence, um, are watching this and they, you pick up on this subtle feedback from the crowd that like, it seemed like the crowd liked Edmondson more and the, you know, like peer pressure is a thing. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think, I think <laughs> the, essence of of, the essence of your question is like, does the fact that, does the fact that on screen Edmondson seemed more at ease, more at ease with the crowd. The crowd seemed more at ease with him. Yeah, not just him, like, but the crowd's role like, in this. Yeah, like, yeah, I think that I think that absolutely matters. I mean, I think to me, if you were, if you were like dial testing this, right? Yeah. Um, to me, I think Edmondson would have been a clear like quote unquote winner. I tonight. mean, based on audience applause, Stitt got none. Right. Drew got several. Right. So I I think now. I also think that if you were kind of leaving that out of it and just looking at it like on points scored in terms of knowledge of government, knowledge of policy, I also think that Drew would have won. But I don't, you know, I, I I agree with your like premise. I think that that interaction with the crowd like definitely matters. I think, you know? and I I will say I think the education vote is still going to be the the yeah. big deal here because yeah. there's a lot of teachers that are sick of partisan politics and like, I don't cut the crap, man. Here's what we need. And I feel like Drew had a better answer to that where he was like it. So Stitt was like, it's mostly about money. And I mean, he didn't say that, but he talked about teacher pay and starting pay and incentives to get teachers here. And Drew's opening statement was, if you think it's just about pay, then you weren't paying attention and people applauded right then. That was the, that to me, that line Mm -hmm. set the tone of the night. And I can't believe that Stitt, didn't I mean that's to me it seems so obvious to right. capitalize on that right and I get that there's a bajillion issues and I don't know maybe I'm paying attention to the Oklahoma crowd more than he is because there's a lot of stuff you got to pay attention to if you're running for governor but I feel like that alone is the that once again right. teachers will make the defining vote here right and the other thing the other thing that I think won't serve Stitwell in this is that the one policy that he seemed the one kind of policy detail that he seemed most um, enthusiastic about tonight was related to state questions eight, seven eighty. Is that what it is? What the mm-hmm. one the the state question that's on that allows districts to right. spend uh, revenues that are in there. We discussed in fund. our last episode. Yeah, right. So that he actually brought that up at the beginning of the very first question of the night was how would you fund education? Kevin Stitt is mostly local control like let districts spend their dollars and let districts use this and the thing the reason to me that that's kind of a like I, he comes the, from a rich district well one he comes from a rich district and two this is the point that Edmondson made 
there are no teachers or administrators or school boards that are asking for that. So the two big, <laughs> right? So the two, also a fair point, the two big things, the two big things on education that Stitt made the point tonight was one, it's all about salary. And it was like, if you think it's all about salary, you're not paying attention. And two, not only is it all about salary, but the way to fix that is by letting districts spend their ad valorem dollars differently, which is something that none of the districts are advocating for. They're all advocating for more money from the state government. Well, and it would undoubtedly help some districts. Like he said, I mean, Jinx or Broken Arrow might benefit, but other districts like Godibo might not. Right. I was a little confused. So the very last question of the night um, was on state questions, and it was, had to do with this one. And I, I apologize. I don't have the number offhand, but it's the one we discussed last last year. And, you know, Mr. Sitstead, like, yes, he's voting in favor of it. Let schools spend the money how they want. Edmondson says, my plan is to vote no. I could be, he said this several times throughout the night. Like, he would get asked his opinion. He's like, well, this is how I feel about it, but you could convince me otherwise, which I like. Um, but he said, my plan is to vote no. Teachers don't support it. Administrators don't support it. It gives the legislature a free pass, kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card for not funding education adequately. And it would exacerbate the disparities between districts. And the very last comment of the night, Mr. Stitt seemed to take issue with that, saying that it wouldn't. And I don't I don't understand how that's possible. So either I feel like either he doesn't understand the question or I don't understand the question. And I don't know which which one of us I don't did you what was your thought on that? I'm I'm I had the same thought. I'm not sure who was right or wrong on that. I I kind of missed it. And I was starting to prepare for the podcast and yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. listen entirely to that last yeah. question. I was just like, why, I'm honest. <laughs> like why, like he, he, it wouldn't, he's like, it wouldn't exacerbate problems between districts. And I don't, I don't, I think he's just trying to glaze over it. That's all right. Cool. All right. Well, um, so I've got, uh, two last questions for you. Um, let me have it. So the first one is give me three words for each candidate that you would use to describe their performance in the debate tonight. Three words for Stitt. Go. Um, you, do you need a word bank? Maybe. <laughs> I, I, uh, uncomfortable, rehearsed, and but confident. Like, right, that's good. Like, yeah. I, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Com- uncomfortable, but still confident. I feel like he was kind of both. I mean, does that make sense at all? Yep, 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 yeah. totally. All right, Edmondson, three words. Uh, relaxed. Uh, also confident, yep. for sure. And is poised too similar to relaxed? No, that's different. Yeah, like good. That's what I would. Yeah, that's what I would say for Edmondson. That works. I just wanted your takeaway in three words. I like that I pressed you on that, and you had a hard time with it. <laughs> that's um, a good question. All right, my second question is: From watching the debate, what did you find? most unexpected um let me scroll through my notes here because there was um one kevin stitt on mental health wanting to reinstate 52.6 million dollars that have been cut from um the department of mental health and substance abuse services mm-hmm. um feeling like that that we need to get those dollars back um so that was the first thing. The second thing I found from Kevin Stitt was um, wanting to get rid of 85% minimum sentences, wanting to get rid of the three strikes and you're out, particularly for drug offenses, and then wanting to significantly reform fees and court costs um, because he correctly asserted that that was 
that's a cycle that it gets like poor folks that get put into the criminal justice system that creates a cycle of debt from which they can't escape and they wind up um, incarcerated or reincarcerated and out of the workforce. Um, and that was surprising to me from Kevin Smith. That, that's where he was on criminal justice reform. Not because I think he's like, you know, pro putting people in prison, but I think that there is a large part of what would be considered his base that mm-hmm. that's not, that's may not be palatable for. Okay. Um, so that was surprising to me. So a couple of, uh, State policies were surprising to you then. Yeah. All right, great. Well, uh, listeners. This will be our question of the week to you as well. If you watched the debate, and if you haven't, please go watch it first. What did you find most unexpected about the debate? Not good, not bad, just what was most unexpected. Scott, any final thoughts? No man, I think it was I think it was a good debate. I think it was informative. I think um you know, certainly if you are if you're one of the six percent undecided voters that we talked about in the poll last week, mm-hmm. um, there's information in this debate tonight that can help you kind of make up your mind, I I think, or at least uh, start getting there. There's two candidates who have I think I think if you force them to kind of delineate what they want Oklahoma to look like, you might see you might see similar visions in terms of having a great education system and a great system of healthcare and significant, you know, criminal justice reform, but substantial differences in how they want to get there. That's true. And we will end on that note. It's the end of the episode. Don't forget to subscribe and rate. Let's pod this on Apple podcast because well, that helps other folks discover and listen to us as well. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and really anywhere else you can find podcasts. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This OK. Scott is at C. Melson. I am at Andy OKC. Please like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Let's Fix This OK. Website, obviously, by now is Let's Fix This OK.org. Go there, sign up for the newsletter. I'm going to have one coming out here in the next few days. Um, and I promise to not spam you like once a month. That's about all you get. You can make a donation on there as well. Sign up to sponsor a podcast episode. You can be a sponsor for our uh, watch party event or just get the details. Tell your friends, come on down. Have a great time with Scott and I and everybody else. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me. And Let's Pod This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network based right here in Oklahoma City. Our theme music is by the Sugar Free All-Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved any way you can. Register, sign up, and vote. Decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week, everybody.